1: Today. Visit Douglas.ca slash Canadaland to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash Canadaland. Okay, we are in the home stretch. This episode and then shortcuts on Thursday, and then I will shut up about Patreon crowdfunding for a year. Those are the rules. Those are the arbitrary rules that I have randomly selected, and I intend to stick to them. The good news is that we have over 1,000 new crowd funders since we began this campaign a few weeks ago. And thanks to their generous support, we have reached our first big goal this year, which is a large raise for everybody here except for me. Every staffer, every freelance article we assign, every contract will be paid at a higher rate than it was before. Plus, we will have money left over to bring in some new producers on contracts to offer new opportunities to new people and to make better shows. Thank you for that. You have made my life easier by giving me what I need to pay people better, to keep good people in this company for longer, to have a happier team, to have a growing team. And I want to give you my word that all of that good stuff will be reflected in the work. Our shows are going to get better. Our journalism is going to get better. Thanks to you. The bad news is that we are still far from our goal of producing a new serialized investigative podcast about Thunder Bay, Ontario, about the criminal charges that the mayor and his wife and the chief of police are facing, about the situation involving the Indigenous students, about the rampant racism, the hate crimes, their record high homicide rate, they lead the country in those respects, and about the mysterious deaths of Indigenous youth after Indigenous youth throughout the years. We want to make that show. We feel like we need to make that show. If you want us to make that show, if you have been holding back your support in the hopes that somebody else would pay us to make that show, it ain't going to happen. It has to be you. If you have given us your support explicitly because you want us to make that show, do not despair. Just keep helping us spread the word in this last push. Encourage the people you know on Facebook and elsewhere to help us reach that goal. We can get there. Finally, if you are a student perhaps a J school student and you like this show or any of our other shows or our news coverage, and you want to support Canadian media, maybe so that there will still be a Canadian media by the time you're out of school and looking for a job. I think you should support us too. And I know, I know you have student debt. You are poor. You are doomed. I hear you, but look, you still buy coffee, right? You still buy beer. You still buy gum, I don't want your support if you cannot afford to give us a dollar a month. And some people can't, but if you can, if you can give us a dollar a month, we have a reward just for you. The first ever guide to media freelancing in Canada, a PDF download for students only. This is our first ever reward offered for $1 a month supporters. You can look at that and all of the other rewards we have Beer, books, t-shirts, check it all out. See how this campaign is doing. Go to patreon.com canadaland Canada Land. And thank you. So the world is just insane right now, and the job of making sense of it has never been more difficult. Some people would argue that there's never been more of a need for sober, objective, factual reporting. The more the world and its leaders bury us in rhetoric, spin, outright lies, vitriol, the more that happens, the more we need reporters to calmly check the facts, just the facts, and to answer all of that heat by shedding light. Or you could go the other way. My guest today started out as a reporter in the field, in combat zones, methodically telling the world the facts about the United States government's shadow wars. As a foreign war correspondent and conflict correspondent, Jeremy Scahill revealed secret military campaigns in Yemen, Pakistan, and Somalia that resulted in congressional investigations. His work was widely celebrated throughout the field, and he had access to mainstream media, to CNN, The guy was in a position to write his own ticket. But instead, he co-founded The Intercept with Glenn Greenwald and Betsy Reed. These days, Jeremy is the host of Intercepted, the Intercept's flagship podcast, where you'll find him delivering polemics against the Trump administration to a passionate audience of like-minded people. On the rare occasion where he is still invited onto cable news, he will take the opportunity to call them out for their editorial sins. When Bill Maher recently asked him onto Real Time, he refused because Milo Yiannopoulos was also scheduled to appear. Jeremy Scahill has become a firebrand, a reporter turned outspoken provider of political opinion. The question that his career raises: Can you be a reporter and a pundit? Do you have to choose? That is a question that I'm pretty interested in, and I'm pretty interested in all the things that Jeremy Scahill has to say, and he joins me in a minute. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Scott Alec, Leah Klassen, Hugh Cocker, Jennifer Kelly, Kyrie Stoll, Curtis Collard, Sharon Silbert, and Melissa Legault. My name is Melissa, I'm calling from Montreal, and I work in marketing. I have always found your critique and stories exceptionally eye-opening. As a young Canadian, I'm sick of the same talking points being shared in the media. I respect the work being done in Canada, Len, and will now add some change into your busker's hat. The fire that really lit me was the Thunder Bay project. All this talk about truth and reconciliation is good, but the fact that bullshit like this is still going on against First Nations community is appalling. Let's get to the bottom of it, step up, and do what is right for God's sake. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. This episode is also brought to you by our founding sponsor, FreshBooks. Question for all of you freelancers out there. If you could get back 192 hours of your time a year, would you choose to do that? Because that is the question that FreshBooks has been asking. How much time does their app save people by simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, getting paid online... All of that stuff. And what they found is that they drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with all that paperwork. Since they rebuilt FreshBooks from the ground up, they have been looking into how much time they save people. And yeah, 192 hours a year, that comes out to two working days every month. As a FreshBooks user who was using FreshBooks before they paid me to say nice things about them, I can tell you that it absolutely saves me time. I am especially grateful and I especially save time come tax season when FreshBooks spits out neatly collated, organized, accountant-friendly reports of what you've been earning and how much tax and this and that. All of that saves me a ton of time and aggravation. FreshBooks is free for 30 days. Just go to freshbooks.com canadaland Canada land. And when they ask you, how did you hear about us? Say Canada land. Thanks FreshBooks. And Hey, one quick note before I read the next sponsorship spot, I asked you guys recently in light of a article in fast company magazine about Casper and the somewhat unsavory world of, Mattress Review Journalism. After that piece was was published, I asked, do you think we should still take ads from Casper? And a lot of you took the time to write us, and we were particularly interested in what those of you who support us on Patreon had to say, should we still do this? And the overwhelming majority was that yes, Uh, It is okay with you if we still read ads for Casper mattresses as long as I do not endorse their reviews as they have been shown to be heavily influenced by mattress companies, including Casper. So I will endorse them as far as I can, which is to say the following. This episode is also brought to you by Casper mattresses. I can tell you that I sleep on a Casper mattress. I can tell you that I sleep really well, better than I did on the mattress I had before Casper, which cost me a lot more money than Casper mattresses are sold for. They now have three different models. The original Casper, which I sleep on, also the Wave and the Essential. They are not just a mattress company. They offer a wide array of products like pillows to ensure an overall better sleep experience. They are cheaper than all the mattresses you'll find at those big box stores because they cut out the middleman and they sell directly to you. There are no hassle returns with Casper mattresses. They show up in a box. You have no idea how they got a whole mattress in that box and it just poofs out in your bedroom. And shipping and returns are free in the US and Canada. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep on it trial. If you don't like it, you just send it back, it doesn't cost you anything. Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $65 Canadian toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com/canadaland. And use the promo code CanadaLand at checkout. Casper ads are everywhere right now. They will often offer you 50 bucks off of a Casper mattress. $65 is the best deal you're going to get, and you're going to get it through CanadaLand when you use CanadaLand at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. There's a bunch of stuff that I want to discuss with you, but I think it all kind of has to follow a introductory question because you're the person who sometimes knows things like this. Is Canada killing anyone around the world that we don't know about and that you do? Um, well, let me say this. Canada is deeply involved,
2: particularly in Afghanistan, and has personnel that are working with U.S. combatant commands around the world, meaning the, the entities within the U.S. military that are in control of operations in particular regions of the world. We have SOUTHCOM, which is in the southern hemisphere. Uh, we have CENTCOM, which is most of the Middle East, AFRICOM. Canada typically doesn't want to deploy its troops on the ground, but Canada and the United States have a very close intelligence-sharing relationship. In some cases, Canada does, as as we've seen in Afghanistan, provide soldiers as part of an international force. But more often, when I talk to people in U.S. special operations forces, what Canadians are doing is giving um, what they call the uh, tail support. So you have a tooth-to-tail ratio. The tooth would be the guys in the field or women, in some cases, who are you know, actually boots on the ground, firing the guns or controlling missiles launched from uh, drones. And then the tail is everyone else that is supporting those operations. So is Canada killing people that we don't know about? I would say that it almost certainly is the case because of Canada's involvement in drone operations, um, just specifically talking about Afghanistan. I would imagine that Canada also uh, will eventually get more deeply dragged into uh, what's happening in North Africa particularly because they can provide uh, people that are capable of getting high-level security clearances and are completely fluent in French to target people in Niger, uh, Mauritania, Mali, Libya to an extent. But as of now, I think that you probably know as much or more than I do about what Canada has overtly been involved with. But the Canadian government should really be questioned, I think, pretty intensely about what the extent of their relationship consists of with the United States in areas where the US is whacking people? Um, And is Canada providing support for operations that if Canada was doing the actual shooting, the public would have a problem with? Because we live in a modern technology world right now. You can say, oh, well, my hands are clean. I'm not the one firing the drone. Okay, well, are you using your intelligence gathering capabilities to track people?
1: Yeah, it brings up fuzzy questions of complicity and even when it's, you know, this, this classic question of, well, who pulls the trigger? Uh, but that's the whole story also of of, of Maharar, I
2: mean, that I know yeah. you, you you know very well, but, you know, the reason that he was kidnapped, I say kidnapped, at JFK Airport uh, was a combination of intelligence provided by Canadian uh, enforcement agencies and U.S. mistaken identity. Uh, the, the U.S. mistaking his identity within their own terror databases. Did Canada snatch Maharar No. Did Canada torture Maharar? No. Was Canada complicit
1: in the kidnapping and torture of Maharar? Absolutely. Did the RCMP later feed phony information to Bob Fife? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yes, they did, uh, to try to cover their tracks and justify this, yes. I ask this because there's this sickening feeling, I mean, at least with Afghanistan, I think the Canadians have a conception that this was a classic entrance into a conflict where we had a debate, we're doing this, should we be doing this? What is our role? How long will we be there? Uh, Let's make a radio drama about it and have this be part of the national dialogue, whereas our roles in other conflicts and operations is much less clear to us. We don't have a fulsome public debate, and I think we still have some idea that if we're anywhere, we're just wearing blue helmets and helping people. And well, even the blue
2: helmets, there's there's scandal about that. I mean, if you if you look at when Canada has been part of operations on the ground in Haiti, um, yeah. there have been serious questions raised about Canadian forces' complicity in human rights violations. And I know that there was a public debate about it in this country. I and mean, when Canadians have been a part of operations in Afghanistan that have gone wrong, my understanding is that the Canadian public actually doesn't seem too comfortable with the idea of Canadian troops being killed in foreign lands. I don't know what the polls are in Canada on this stuff, but I think Canada, like many countries in Europe, doesn't have much of a stomach for you know, its own people dying in far off lands.
1: No, but I'll, I'll risk getting some angry emails when I say that I think we also don't have much of a stomach for even talking about it. It's sort of like become... We, we you know dedicated a little bit of, of space on our show recently just to just discussing the fact that we're providing weapons to Saudi Arabia that they we now know they're using. Against their own people, and it's a difficult thing in the current environment. Everyone is very distracted by what's happening in America. I think this place is a distant, you know, tw- you, you, 20th mean, or 30th. you mean that are being used in Yemen? Uh, uh, no, they they've since found out. At first, we found that they were deployed in Yemen, and then videos more recently surfaced, and Stephen Chase reported in the Global Mail that they're actually being used against Saudi Arabian citizens in Saudi Arabia.
2: I mean, I mean, look, that that alone. I mean, you started off asking about Canada being involved with killing people that we we, we don't know about. The United States and Britain are the premier armors and bankrollers of the Saudi destruction of Yemen. And I mean, I didn't know this about Canada, what you're saying, so I'm just offering you my reaction to it. Any government in the world that is providing arms to the Saudis, whether it's for use to suppress dissent internally or to use in so-called counterterrorism operations internally or to use to obliterate Yemen, as is happening right now, is part of propping up an authoritarian human rights-violating Regime that is fundamentally anti-democratic and is waging external wars of aggression. If Canada is in any way supporting militarily the Saudi government, then Canada is complicit in helping to support widespread human rights violations. And in the case of Yemen, certainly extrajudicial
1: killings. Yeah, we know. But uh, our prime minister says it's just some jeeps. But yeah. we we know this. But you know, I thought everything I, 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 changed.
2: You have this great liberal, pro- yeah. you know, I mean,
1: it's isn't
2: this, aren't we in Trudeauville? I mean, is not everything on,
1: changed? The only thing that's changed, I think, is that Canadians in the final days of Harper got angry about things. And, and, and now that's changed.
2: Do you think it's analogous to what we, you know, what, what we saw with Barack Obama is a lot of people sort of went to sleep, you know, li- a lot of liberals felt like, Obama is a transformative guy, he's extremely intelligent, he has liberal sensibilities, everything is fine. And if he tells us, you know, that sometimes we need to bump off our own citizens who haven't been charged with crimes and drone strikes halfway across the world, we just trust him on that. Is there an analogous attitude toward the far less uh, adventurous Canadian government in terms of, uh, you know, war policy?
1: But is there a a direct one? people are willing to give a a mulligan to, you know, (laughs) like, "Eh, this is better than what we had before. And I think that, that in the grand context of everything awful that's happening in the world, you know, at least the the previous administration would would just overtly make the case, hey, if we didn't give them these weapons, somebody else would, and jobs, jobs, jobs. Rob Ford would have made a very interesting prime minister. Oh, God. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) but here we are, and we can agree about these things, and we could get angry about them, but how much does this matter? Uh, You know, uh, so to this question of perhaps unlike others who are willing to, uh, you know, give a pass or look the other way or not pay too much attention, I listen to The Intercept, and I hear really excoriating criticism of what america is up to Uh, i hear excoriating criticism about what the media is focused on and what what americans are not paying attention to and your career is dedicated to not only making these arguments but to finding the proof that
0: Mm. you
1: want to get people interested and and sometimes get them angry are they getting there and, and does it matter if they are well,
2: you know, I think we, we're seeing a very disturbing trend right now in the United States where there's there's this line that like Bernie Sanders is destroying the Democratic Party. I think it's much truer that Hillary Clinton and her supporters are fracturing the Democratic Party to a point where its very existence may be called into question because Hillary Clinton represents the kind of elite right wing of the Democratic Party on many issues. Now, there are some issues that I think she's genuinely, you know, progressive or has good ideas. But in, but in general, Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton both represent a right wing flank that is now the dominant flank of the Democratic Party. These forces that believe that you know, Hillary deserved to be president, and that because she won the popular vote, she should be president, even though we do have this ridiculous system of the Electoral College in the United States that gave Trump the the victory. What's happening right now is there is an alliance between Hillary Clinton Democrats and some of the most vile neoconservatives in our country. People like Bill Kristol, the uh, uh, the editor of the Weekly Standard, the the leading organ of the neocon movement, David Frum, who I think is Canadian. Yep. Um, uh, shame on you, Canada! So Canada brought us the Axis of Evil speech mm-hmm. uh, because of of David Frum. But he's seen the light. He's seen the light on a very narrow set of issues. He's opposed to Donald Trump. Yeah. He's, he, his original opposition to Donald Trump, and I think this is true of a lot of the neocons, was that he wasn't enough of an empire politician for them, and they felt safer with Hillary Clinton. The part of it that I find disturbing is, is it's now out in the open how closely aligned some of the neocons are with the Hillary Clinton wing of the Democratic Party. But it's like all is forgiven when there's been no acts of contrition on the part of any of these people. None of the the neocons that are now great friends of the Hillary Clinton Democrats have said, oh, we were wrong to engage in a mass slaughter in Iraq, a criminal war based on lies. I was wrong to write this propaganda speech for George W. Bush. That, to me, seems like the new face of a political force that is not the Democratic Party and it's not the Republican Party. It's sort of the right-wing Democrats getting together with their allies of convenience who were traditional kind of neocons for whom Trump is a dangerous figure. It's very hard to unpack all of that and then say, so how do we organize from here? Bernie Sanders is, you know, I like Bernie Sanders. He's a very old white guy. He's not actually a member of the Democratic Party, nor am I. But when somebody gets to that stature and they don't say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run on these principles in honor of everyone that's supported me, then I, I think that's not really principle. Bernie would have been blamed for shattering the Democratic Party, and I think it would have been a good thing, if the Democratic Party had gotten shattered, because then it, we, we could have a, a reset on American politics and have probably more than two parties.
1: Which it seems like there's an enormous popular will for. and and, and the, the, the Popular will, yes. Yeah. Let's take a step back. I want you to describe your job. You know, I, I think that when we look at the books you wrote in the original reporting you did that people took note of, it's a familiar role. You're a reporter on the ground in combat zones, and you're uncovering things that had previously been unknown. and. That knows no partisan stripe, and, and it's information that I think you know most people would agree is just what journalists sh- should be doing. And when you prove something to be a fact, that can enter the ecosystem. It could be used any which way, but we need the information, and that's something that you spent a lot of time and a great personal risk provided. Now, as mentioned, if I look at you on YouTube, I'll, I'll, I'll see you on CNN or MSNBC excoriating them, really, for the other talking heads that they'll have on and holding them to account. When
2: we talk about this, CNN needs to immediately withdraw all retired generals and colonels from its airwaves. You know, Fareed Zakaria, if that guy could have sex with this cruise missile attack, I think he would do it. Brian Williams seemed to just be in, in true...
1: I'm very insulted at this characterizing of me as a talking head but go on well you know you're on TV you're talking about it <laughs> okay you there you go. but' you're, you're a kind of a unique one in, in that it's rare to see somebody on CNN saying CNN should not be having retired generals posing themselves as experts I, who I haven't have- been on since then. Aha. I
2: I I think I may have uh, fired one too many shots at CNN on CNN's airwaves. Did you have
1: a, a religious conversion of your own? I mean, it, to, to be uh, on, and now I you know I think that the primary platform you have for your journalism is is your podcast, which yeah. is itself because you've you've done books and documentaries and articles, and now it seems like the podcast is is your home. I'm kind of curious about that just from like looking at the media shift, yeah. uh, but but. It now feels like people could put you, people could put the Intercept, oh yeah, that's the nation, that's in one category. The Intercept is in one category in the partisan spectrum, and we don't necessarily have to deal with the facts, because uh, the nature of this is they're they're, they're in the fight, and they're on the far end of the fight, and, and we can ignore them.
2: It's an interesting question. I would point out, though, that on any given day, and you can just do this on any random given day, search Twitter or Facebook, and you will find people saying that The Intercept is doing the bidding of the CIA. You will have people say that uh, we're responsible for Trump being elected because we were so anti-Hillary Clinton. Yeah. You'll have people saying that we're you know hand-wringing liberals who hate guns and who want to uh, suppress free speech. And then you'll have people saying, why does Glenn Greenwald support the speech of neo-Nazis? You could make an assumption based on something you heard me say or something you heard Glenn say that we have a particular mindset. But I actually think that the if you look at the historical record of what we've published and who we've published and, and the contrarian reporting or analysis that we've done, particularly, you know, against liberal common thought, it's much more complicated than, than – how would you pigeonhole us? What are, we, are we on the left? I Hmm. I mean, I personally am on the left. I have no problem saying that. Would you say Glenn is on the
1: left? I would say that Glenn is almost in a classical sense on the left, right? And not not in a partisan sense, but in in an ideological sense, even though I will hear him talking to tucker carlson and agreeing about but
2: glenn it. supports the citizens united decision at the supreme court that gives personhood to corporations and allows them it's what allows endless money to be spent he supports that i'm dying in a and wife. if you can read ask if, my question but if you read it but this is my point a lot of people yeah. say that but then i can find you other people who are going to argue and say no it's the exact opposite of that thing
1: yeah look i i have the same issue. which i think is a good thing people characterize us as being on and and i i can point to many people on the on the left who hate it you know it's nice to be hated by everybody i think that that tells you something good about yourself but but this is a question that I struggle with whether it's fair or not to place you there I think that is where most commonly it would be placed and I think that there are a lot of reporters who would not go anywhere near the analysis territory that you enter uh, the monologuing the the opinion stuff because if you're just saying I'm doing this in the purest sense of I'm trying to bring facts those facts right. are for the public to interpret and make you know if, if you want the stories yeah. to hold up in a certain way there are a lot of uh, there's a classic journalistic sense where the people would not do what you do the notion of objectivity that is
2: taught or has historically been taught in journalism school schools and is present in publications in Canada and in the United States is actually not objective. No one is really objective. It generally is a way of making sure that the state always has its version disproportionately represented. Uh-huh. Now, there are great reporters, including reporters that work in Canadian media. I think of Colin Fries as an excellent reporter who's covered some really important developments in the counterterrorism world, including in the United States. Michelle Shepard of the Toronto Star sure. is an incredibly brave uh, war correspondent who's been to all the same places I have and done the same kinds of of stories. Michelle is more of a straight journalist in uh, many ways. You, she you she get...
1: takes great pains when, when yes. she was on the show when she was talking about Omar Carter. She takes yes. great pains... Uh, she's under constant scrutiny. Are, yes. are you sympathetic to Carter? Do you exactly. like him? Yeah. She won't answer those questions straight up. She wants the focus to be on what she's learned.
2: Right, and I and I have I have respect because you sense that it's from a position of principle, and she has a lot of heart in the game. But objectivity, for the sake of objectivity, often means make sure that the powerful always get their say, and sometimes Caesar shouldn't have his say. Sometimes the truth is just true. For many many years, if you look at the reporting I did when I was at the Nation Magazine. Or in the Dirty Wars book that I wrote, there's very little opinion, you know, in those expressed in any kind of a overt way. Right,
1: and that's when you had the most access to things like real time with Bill Maher and CNN. Yeah, And I think that, uh, I, I guess my, my follow-up question is, aside from the, this, you know, objectivity is a fraud in journalism and I, and I think it does open up a lot of dangerous uh, uh, possibilities like, like like you mentioned, but strategically, if you're just like, I, every journalist wants their stories to have the biggest impact possible. Why mm. do this if, if, if what you report doesn't matter? Wouldn't you have a bigger platform if you were sort of uh, safe enough to, if you were a New York Times reporter uh, safe enough to have on CNN, who doesn't uh, lambast them for their other choices and pundits?
2: You know, I have that own internal debate myself. And when we first started The Intercept, uh, there was a lot of pressure on me to start like blogging. Um, I mean, I know that's not really a term anymore, but like to be writing like quick hot take turnaround stuff, because that's the kind of stuff that gets attention. And I really pushed back against that. And I said, no, I just want to continue doing long form investigative journalism. For me, the 2016 election and the lack of any attention being paid to crucial foreign policy issues, but also in the US issues of race and class, I think it inspired in me a desire to say, hey, I've actually learned some stuff about how the world functions, about how war functions, about how propaganda works, that I want to be able to share this with people. And I don't want to pretend like I don't have an opinion on it. So for me, almost every time I've gone on those big networks, whether it's CNN or MSNBC in the, in the US, you know, Fox uh, has asked me to be on before, but I've said I'll only go on if it's live, mm-hmm. not pre-taped. And uh, I had a negotiation once with um, Bill O'Reilly's, you know, he's now, uh, yep. you know, the disgraced pervert that he is and, and predator. They before wanted all that. Huh? But, but <laughs> when he was still on, on the O'Reilly Factor, they asked to have me on. And um, I said, I'll do it if it's live, which is funny because Bill O'Reilly is that famous tape of him saying, fuck it, I'll do it live. We'll do it live. <laughs> fuck it. Do it live. I can will write it and we'll do it live. And they said, well, we're not gonna do it live. And I said, okay, was well, it, you know, can can I get in writing that you're not gonna edit it? No, we do have the right to edit it. I said, okay, then can I I'm gonna wear a digital clock on my lapel so that people can see like how much you edited out of it. And they said no. So I never was on Fox News. But when I would go on those, and I'm being completely honest with you. Yeah. From the first time I ever was invited on those big networks, I always go in assuming it's the last time I'll be invited yeah. on. So I, you'll, if you watch clips, I talk really fast. I try to get in as many points as I can. I try to say things that I think almost never get heard on corporate television. And in the end, I haven't been on either of those networks for a long time. I try to criticize what they do that I think is part of the problem. Yeah. All of that comes back to the question that you asked me because... I do feel that there is a value in our society. When you when you've been fortunate enough to go to war zones and live to tell the tale, I think there's a value to sharing what you've learned thus far in progress and being straight with people about it. And that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast. I don't I don't want to pretend like there's this way of looking at it and that way of looking at it. If a guest has a different opinion than me, that's fine. But I don't I, I just I, I I believe that. There are times in history where you have to take the gloves off, and I think we're in one of them right now, not yeah. just because Trump is president, but also because of what a pathetic election that was in 2016 in the U.S. And the, the the lack of real issues being discussed was incredible. It basically went down to cult of personality stuff and Trump doing a lot of very racist, not dog whistling, but like megaphone whistling.
1: It it was beyond anything, I mean, that satire could produce or fiction. I mean, it still boggles me that, you know, I think everybody still wakes up and like, pinch me, is this still happening?
2: Well, look, Trump, Trump, you you saw Trump's attack on Canadian lumber early on uh, in his administration when they carted out that almost dead body of Wilbur, uh, you know, who's the commerce uh, uh, secretary. You know, and they they announced like this is basically like a trade war with Canada and and throw it on the gauntlet. I, I bring that up because it's like, I really don't think these guys know what they're doing. the the Trump people. They live in a world that basically is Twitter, where they want instant gratification or instant response to everything that they're doing. So Uh they'll do some crazy thing like hold a press conference for an hour and a half to talk about timber from Canada. And and part of that was a political point that Trump was making about the Midwest in the United States and other uh, areas of the country that are economically hit. But it's also, it was a response to criticisms of him so it's he says okay you go out there now and 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 announce this and it's like a proxy for saying we're going to get rid of uh of nafta You, you see what i'm saying he if you're governed like that and and the president is taking positions based on like whatever the fuck he read on twitter that morning or saw on fox and friends the most ridiculous show in american media it's a dangerous situation I mean,
1: it's dangerous yeah no it's 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 policy it's governing but by via meme it's such, that's a good way of putting it yeah look it's it's hard to just maintain the faith in that there's there's a point in informing people and you know there, there's a suggested idealism like well we'll do our jobs of trying to figure out what's going on or uh, having a debate about that and then people will learn things and they'll come out of that as more informed citizens and that'll affect how they operate as citizens and how they vote and that's how the whole and we're in such a psychotic new territory right now that it feels like that whole concept is breaking down. It feels like it's a hard thing to still For people
2: listening, here are the sirens coming to arrest Jesse as we speak right now in the <laughs> hotel room. Let's just hear it.
1: Uh-huh. Are those helicopters too, Jesse? The, my cell phone is in your mini fridge. <laughs> uh, please very, bury it.
2: Excellent. Right okay. next to the whiskey, as it should be.
1: Yeah. Um... There's good days and bad days, and some days I feel like we've sort of uh, are, are are finding ourselves again as journalists, and there's a return to first principles. And just when the notion of truth itself is being assaulted, it feels like this is the job you want to but, have but, right but, now. But it goes, and and then there's days where it just feels like we're in a crazy hall of mirrors where none of this, uh, and you know, t- you could have the greatest revelation tomorrow, and the next day there'll be some bright shiny thing or some crazy lurid new detail that will have everyone's attention i mean
2: hello we have a president who called his daughter uh, a piece of ass who says he you know likes to grab pussy who is constantly humiliating his wife in public uh and is you know is is a horrid misogynist buffoon who happens to be now the most powerful individual on the planet? Yeah, so how basically. do you scandalize someone? Um, <laughs> like, right. What is I mean, the it's, truth that uh... we 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 you know that's what we got in our last election. Yeah. And and, and well, he, we got
1: it too. And, uh, right. right. And I mean, you get it too. when we, we didn't we didn't get to vote, but we got it too.
2: Right. You you get it. But here's here's the thing: the media stars in the United States, the kind of corporate uh, uh, news media, the people that sit in the front row at the press conferences, and the people that host primetime news shows. I'm not talking about just like you know cable talk news shows, have now started openly calling the president of the United States a liar. Yeah. And they've started talking in a very plain way about this president of the United States. From the beginning, since I got into journalism, I was of the school that that's always how we should have been talking about presidents of the United States. I learned that from Amy Goodman the, you know, at Democracy Now! And she you know, often quotes I.F. Stone, the great legendary journalist, mm-hmm. who, by the way, worked with all open source documents, you know, he he wasn't like getting whistleblowers to give stuff to him. He was combing through the official record in the United States and then pulling details out of it. He's, you know, all governments lie. And the thing is, it takes Donald fucking Trump for us to realize that. I mean, us meaning like the, the, the media in the United States. I will be pleasantly shocked if there's a normal person back in the White House. And this trend continues of actually calling presidents liars. Because I think a lot of people view this as an anomaly. And I think there's a danger to viewing Trump as an anomaly. When you look at his policies, he is well within the normal range of Democrats and Republicans with the kinds of policies he's implementing. He's just kind of a more extroverted version of you know, some of the more reprehensible individuals within the Republican Party, because he says things you're not supposed to say out loud. But on a policy level, like What is one policy Trump has done that that doesn't have an analog in the history of the United States in some way or another? You could say the Muslim ban.
1: Yeah, the travel ban is the first thing. We put
2: Japanese Americans in concentration camps during World War II. We passed the Espionage Act in 1917 that was aimed at targeting German Americans. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's now used to go after whistleblowers. But it's like all this pearl clutching about how atrocious Trump is is dangerous if you don't consistently talk about the political context of how someone like Trump ends up there and where these ideas actually come from. And that's why I think the danger is of this alliance between the neocons and the Hillary bots. And it's also dangerous about the media thinking, well, this is an anomaly. It's okay to call this guy a liar. That should be our position toward the powerful is assume they're lying. You don't trust, you mistrust Mm -hmm. and then verify. That's the job. That's the job. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate it.
1: That is your Canada Land Show. Hope you liked it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. If you click like on our Facebook page, our news stories will show up in your Facebook news feed. You can also find our news stories at canadalandshow.com. People, our crowdfunding site is at patreon.com slash Canada Land. This episode was produced by Kevin Sexton. We give this show away to community and campus radio stations, dozens of them across this country, and the syndication work on that is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us on patreon.com slash Canada Land. for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a
0: cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman, found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be serve this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.